I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth In Mission. San Francisco is opening back up, and a lot of its future hinges on the success of its public transit system. Two supervisors are pushing for three months of free muni rides, and they move their plan a key step forward on Wednesday. The Chronicle's transit reporter, Ricardo Cano, explains why muni officials don't really like the plan. He's also catching us up on Muni's ridership trends. Hint, they're a lot better than Bart's. The upcoming return of the historic streetcars and the heated fight over the future of JFK Drive. Ricardo Cano, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Heather. Well, I know you're just um, a few weeks into your new beat, but you're keeping very busy. Uh, Certainly. (laughs) Um, This is a very uh, pivotal moment, I think, uh, where the city is grappling with uh, what to make permanent that arose from the pandemic and, you know, what these long bureaucratic processes were, are going to look like. Um, I think, you know, the future of San Francisco as we emerge from the pandemic, a lot of it hinges on public transit and transportation issues and roads. And, and that's all very in the news right now. And you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. So I wanted to start with a big topic, which is free Muni. Allowing everybody to ride Muni buses for free has been talked about for a long time, um, but has never actually happened. But there was um, one key step was taken on Wednesday. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yeah. So the Budget and Appropriations Committee at City Hall moved forward the proposal today. You know, basically what happens now is uh, the Muni Board of Directors uh, will take a vote on it, and after that, it goes to the full board of supervisors. Uh, the mayor will have to approve it, but um, it is uh, progress for this proposal to essentially pilot for three months uh, universal free muni fares on buses and trains. It would cost $12.5 million for the city to provide uh, free paratransit and to comp muni for the lost fares uh, during this period. But Dean Preston, the supervisor who who's really been pushing for this, has, you know, his selling point here is that, you know, what better time to than now to uh, to try this out, get some data and figure out whether this is something the city would want to go uh uh, out for a ballot measure to to sustain it permanently. And where would this money come from? It, so it's not out of Muni's regular budget. No, this would come from uh, the city. The city would would pay for it. It would not affect Muni's budget. Uh, it wouldn't affect the agency's current plans to restore services. Um, that's not to say that there aren't doubts or concerns expressed by uh, Muni's leadership at Wednesday's meeting. A lot of the, the back and forth there was between Director Jeffrey Tumlin and members of the Board of Supervisors really just uh, debating uh, the, the merits of, of this program, who it would truly benefit, mm-hmm. and uh, the, you know, the potential uh, effects it would have on Muni as it's trying to restore some of the services it cut during the pandemic and ramp up capacity you know, one of the points that uh, Director Tumlin made to supervisors at Wednesday's meeting was that Muni currently is struggling with um, capacity issues. They're running buses with uh, social distancing, which reduces the number of people that can be on the buses. Um, you know, they're trying to uh, ramp up 
hiring more operators after operating most of the year with the belief that they would have to do employee layoffs to address a really uh, pernicious budget situation. But, you know, uh, uh, Supervisor Preston, uh, other folks who uh, commented at the meeting, you know, really said that having more ridership than you're able to, you know, have the capacity for is a good problem to have, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Muni right now, bus ridership on weekdays is still about half of what it used to be before the pandemic. It is going up gradually, um, but uh, one of the concerns that Tumlin had made was, you know, this is a, a moment where, you know, perception is everything, right? Mm-hmm. And and experiences that passengers have, you know, if, if this creates uh, less reliability because the, you know, Muni doesn't have the capacity to uh, meet the, the higher ridership demand that this proposal would bring, you know, would that, would that result in, you know, more people getting turned off by using public transit? And uh, Supervisor Preston and others who uh, want this proposal to pass, um, uh, uh, you know, feel otherwise. They feel that, that this would help the agency's big picture goal in, in getting more um, people riding muni buses and trains. How long do you think it'll take to get an answer on whether this is actually going to happen? Well, the program is, is scheduled to start July 1st, so presumably uh, sometime before then, right? <laughs> Let's hope so. um, it's, a, it's You know, it's a three-month program. It runs from the 1st of July through the end of September. And, you know, one of the things that the supporters of, the, of this effort, you know, have really stressed is it's not going to be permanent. You know, it, it costs just it just costs way too much money to fund it permanently. And, and that's, um, you know, one of the more obvious reasons why uh, previous efforts to subsidize uh, universal fares on Muni have failed in the past. We have um, taken some steps in that direction, like free Muni for kids and low income people. What is the thinking behind making it free for everyone, including wealthier people who wouldn't have an issue with paying the fare? Well, you know, the thinking is we're in a pandemic that's caused extreme financial hardship on a lot of San Franciscans. You know, having a pilot at this point in time not only would cost the city less money to try out, but would theoretically help save some people money on fares. Uh, That's something that Preston had really uh, tried to hone in on the meeting and, um, you know, he, he seemed to take uh, offense by um, Tumlin's characterization that, you know, this proposal would benefit more affluent residents. You know, his belief, you know, was that it would benefit low-income residents, too. But the reality is we, we just don't have the data in front of us to answer that question. And that's what this proposal would set out to do is, is gather that information and answer concretely who is truly going to be benefiting from such a program. And are you aware of any other cities that do this? Is it a common thing or pretty rare? There's certainly momentum. Uh, Boston is considering doing something like this. We've seen cities such as Fresno, uh, where I'm from, implement more temporary subsidized public transit measures Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. So it's not only San Francisco that's thinking about this. It's a big couple of weeks for Muni because we also have the return of quite a bit of service on May 15th, including some of my favorites, the historic streetcars, the F-Line. Tell me about what what riders should expect on May 15th. 
Absolutely. So Muni Metro subway service is going to come back. The Enjuta line, which is currently being serviced by bus shuttles, is going to restore rail service. The F line from the Castro to Fisherman's Wharf is coming back. And, you know, the subway is getting Wi-Fi now. So there's that. It really is seems like a pivotal step in the agency's journey to recover the services that it had to cut during the pandemic. But I don't think uh, people should expect a 100% return to pre-pandemic services anytime soon. Mm -hmm. The current timeline calls for going to 85% of pre-pandemic services by uh, January of next year. There really isn't any sort of firm plan right now as to how the agency is going to get to that full 100%. So a lot of that is going to be determined by, uh, again, this really um, a fluid, uh, pernicious budget situation where you know the agency is going to be fine for the next year or two, but um, a lot of the structural financial woes that, that plagued it uh, before the pandemic uh, will come to, to roost, so to speak, um, beginning in 2023. Yeah, and I know that Muni is considering a ballot measure for June or November of next year to try to to fill those coffers, which were already, as you said, um, not the budget was not balanced. Um, there were gaps even before the pandemic. Right. And what is ridership looking like these days as people get vaccinated? Are more people riding, or or is that picking up at all? Actually, Muni is faring better, uh, relatively speaking, in terms of recovering ridership, you know, compared to BART. So just, you know, as an example, BART, you know, ridership's going up there, but, you know, on any given day, it's still about uh, 15, 16% of what its usual ridership is. Oh my Um, gosh, that's still really low. And on Muni uh, buses, specifically, ridership is hovering at about, you know, 50% of what it was before the pandemic on weekdays. Um, So, you know, part of that is that, you know, more essential workers depend on on Muni than do BART. Many people who use BART also have cars. So, you know, they can defer to that uh, during the pandemic and and, uh, certainly have. uh, But Muni's customers, so to speak, uh, look different, you know, are, are more likely to be essential workers. And what are the rules now for writing Muni and BART in terms of masks and distancing and all of those precautions? Uh, so the the federal rules for mask wearing are going to be put in place at least until September 13th. Social distancing is a little bit dicier. San Francisco's in the yellow tier. And, you know, theoretically, the, the, the city has the capability to um, do away with these distancing requirements that really have put a burden on Muni and other public transit systems in the region because they just they reduce capacity. And we don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but it, it seems like it will happen uh, soon during the summer, perhaps sooner. Great. Well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back to talk about more transit issues. Ricardo Cano, thanks again for joining me. Wanted to um, talk about another very hot button issue related to roads in the city, and that is the future of JFK Drive in Golden Gate Park. Um, every time I go on Twitter, it seems like <laughs> people are fighting about it very um, adamantly. People are really polarized on whether it should remain car free or reopen to cars 
and when. And there was a pretty key meeting about this on Tuesday. Can you tell me what happened? Yeah, uh, so many meetings, right? Uh, but um, <laughs> at this meeting, San Francisco County Transportation Authority uh, basically approved the roadmap for how Muni and the Rex and Park Department are going to find a potential solution to uh, JFK Drive and accessibility on Golden Gate Park. You know, this was a very early step in what is still going to be a long process. Um, you know, there isn't going to be a resolution to this until the end of the year, but it attracted hundreds of people weighing in, uh, writing to the authority before the meeting, commenting during the virtual meeting, you know, really, uh, again, speaking to uh, the fact that this is one of the most divisive questions that the city has to uh, confront as it nears the end of the pandemic. And the report itself is going to guide uh, the work that these two public agencies are going to do in the coming months. They're supposed to uh, be studying accessibility on, you know, to Golden Gate Park, you know, really drilling down on, on how people are getting there um, and gathering feedback from not only the the adjacent neighborhoods in the Richmond district and the Sunset district that are affected by these street alterations, but other outlying neighborhoods in the southeast portion of the city in particular uh, to try and get an understanding of, you know, what are the access barriers and what possible solutions uh, can these two agencies bring to the Board of Supervisors to uh, take an action on. So I know that People such as myself, I, I get to um, write my opinions as a columnist, love JFK Drive and want it to remain car free because it's such a great space for kids and bicyclists and pedestrians and um, just place to get out and um, and exercise safely. It used to be on the high injury corridor and there's been no injuries or deaths, um, obviously without cars there during the pandemic. Uh, what were people saying in opposition? Why do people want cars back there? there there's definitely two sides to this, but um, you know, if you talk to any single person, they're going to have their own very particular reason for um, supporting keeping JFK Drive car free or for, you know, reopening it to cars. And uh, I think generally speaking, um, you know, uh, folks who are in opposition to this, you know, some residents in the Sunset, uh, in the Richmond, you know, these are also neighborhoods that have been, um, you know, where the streetscape has been altered by slow streets, you know, the, the closure of Upper Great Highway to cars. And uh, there's an argument that these pandemic-related changes have um, created more traffic on neighboring streets. The Museum of, you know, the Fine Arts Museum of San Francisco is among the establishments that is affected by the closure of JFK Drive. I briefly spoke with Thomas Campbell, uh, the director and CEO of the Fine Arts Museums. And, you know, basically what he told me was that, you know, the museum wants the park to be accessible, but that, you know, it should be reopened, JFK Drive should be reopened as soon as possible while the city looks at this issue. And, you know, he, he basically said advocates who who want to keep JFK Drive closed are have, quote, taken advantage of COVID um, and the temporary safe streets closure of JFK to push their agenda for permanent closure 
in part by creating a false sense of crisis that is based on distorted statistics and unsubstantiated emotional rhetoric, uh, end quote. So um, certainly a, a very hot issue that um, <laughs> is months away from... <laughs> that was from... quite a quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you talk to him on the phone or did he say that in a meeting? Uh, I spoke with him briefly on the phone. And so uh, that's that's his belief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the fact is that JFK Drive before the pandemic was being used for the most part as a way to get to other parts of the city quicker. According to the SFMTA, uh, the 8,000 cars or so that would pass through that portion of JFK Drive on any given day, you know, uh, three quarters of those cars were using that corridor uh, to commute to other places, um, not necessarily visit the park itself. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's also that that um, opposition from people who, um, you know, probably don't want to see that, uh, uh, you know, uh, corridor be closed because it could mean a longer commute, just a longer uh, uh, time to get around the city. I listened to the meeting for part of it. Thankfully, didn't have to watch the whole thing like you did. <laughs> but um, I was struck by Supervisor Shimon Walton calling it akin to the 1950s South. Did that stand out to you? I did. I mean, it was one of the the various um, comments that stood out, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, Supervisor Walton, who's been vocal about the the closure of JFK Drive, the point that I gathered that he was trying to make was, you know, he's not necessarily uh, uh, against, um, you know, he doesn't view this as as a cars versus pedestrian issue, uh, which, you know, arguably there is that component to it. But, you know, his his point is, you know, that residents in the you know neighborhoods that he represents on the southeast portion of the city really have no other uh, expedient means to get to um, Golden Gate Park than through driving. You know, he he mentioned that, you know, it takes about an hour to get there through public transit from the Bayview. Um, and so uh, that's another part of this, um, this, the city that, you know, the two public agencies are also going to be conducting a separate equity study uh, around accessing JFK Drive. So there's a lot on the plate of SFMTA. Yeah, no kidding. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you to Ricardo Cano for joining me today, to Erica Carlos for producing this episode, and to you for listening.